You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Sherry's going to read for us this morning. I invite you to find our spot way at the beginning of the Bible. We're in Genesis. You're going to find us in chapter 13. It's 18 verses. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Thanks for reading for us, Sherry. Well, today we come to our second message in the series about Abraham that we're walking through this fall. Abraham's reward is what it's called. Andrew got us started a couple weeks ago with the call of Abram in chapter 12. And you might hear me bounce back and forth between Abram and Abraham. It's the same guy, but eventually his name changes. Last week, then, we hit pause for one week, if you were here, and and got to see Tom Jurgens share with us what a wonderful message on the giving nature of God and our giving in response. And now we're back to it here with Abraham, and we head into chapter 13 with a message called Walk the Land. You've heard Walk the Line. That's Johnny Cash. This is Walk the Land. It's probably a good thing I did not preach last week. I just returned from about 30 hours of traveling to return from India, and I don't know what would have come out of my mouth that I needed to speak last week. So I I just wanted to share, I I was so grateful to go and represent the Y Church, to be supported by you in prayer, and also for the 
various practical ways that you supported my wife and our kids while I was gone. It was an unforgettable adventure, and today what I'd like to do is take you along and tell you some of the stories to illustrate what we're going to learn from Genesis 13. I was also, in the meantime, I was able to gain some clarity about what we can and cannot share because we live stream and uh, in places like India where followers of Jesus are under intense pressure and persecution in places, uh, we certainly wouldn't want to endanger any of our brothers and sisters there. So the good news is that when it's embedded in a live stream and it's not like a direct picture post, then it really is of a very little concern. It's not searchable. And so I'll be able to, in our live stream, share pretty freely. So, you see on the screen the map of flying into Chennai, used to be known as Madras, India. But we pick up a story today where Abram is also on the move. In chapter 12, where we started, God called him from a long way off and called him to a new land that he would give to him in Canaan. In chapter 13, where we pick up the story, Abraham is returning from an excursion that he took to Egypt. And it says, we'll start in this verse, in verse 3, he went from place to place until he came to where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. And I love it that this story starts exactly this way. And as we begin the story, it's a reminder to us that the best stories begin with worship. When I arrived in India, I was welcomed by this group of 200 children. I have, frankly, never seen a group of children so well-behaved, all sitting in their spot on the mat, and nobody was talking out of order. But I got to meet these children, and they were my welcoming committee. They're all orphans, or semi-orphans, which means one parent has died, and the surviving parent is so impoverished that they cannot possibly raise the child. They all live in a children's home that is run by India Gospel League. So when I arrived, they welcomed me with a worship service. And I'll share some pictures later today on my own social media where you can see some videos of them singing. They sang, they danced, they recited scripture passages, and they shared testimonies. probably heard three different kids speak through the translator about what it was like to live in poverty to have one or both parents die, and then to come to this place and to hear about Jesus for the first time. And that's how these kids begin each day, right in that place, right in their spot on the mat. No mom, no dad, but they gather together in worship. And as I sat there with them, I thought, wow, if these kids can sing God's praises in their circumstance... What does that tell me about my life? So that's how my time in India started, and I could not think of a better way to start than what I experienced there. We'll go back to our story in Genesis. After Abram arrives and he spends time in worship, that's where the story begins, the focus shifts to his nephew, Lot. Now, Lot was traveling with Abram, and their two clans were getting too big for the land to sustain. And keep in mind, there's also Canaanites and Perizzites who are camped out on the best spots. So they didn't have enough room to graze their sheep and cattle. 
to the point that as, as we read it with Sherry, we see that there's herders from these clans who are starting to get into fights. It's a cowboy fight or something. Cowboys versus shepherds, and they're really not getting along. But watch how Abram diffuses the situation. This is very instructive. He says to Lot in verse 8, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And what do you notice about what Abram does here? He defers to Lot. He lets Lot have the first dibs. And we might think, well, wait a minute. Abram's older. He's the elder. He's the uncle to Lot. And more importantly, Abram is the one that God has called to the land. He's the recipient of the promise. But look how Abram diffuses this. Rather than insist on his rightful possession, he denies himself and relinquishes the better portion. What do we learn from Abram? It's very practical that you and I can be peacemakers by putting ourselves second. Abram was the clan leader. He ranked above Lot. There was no question about it. And he knew that it was his responsibility to take the lead in maintaining peace. So he put others first. It's a picture of servant leadership. I'll show you the next picture. One of the highlights of my time in India was visiting the church and YMCA that we built there in 2020. It was our 10th anniversary, and as a congregation, we decided, yes, we're going to celebrate with cake and balloons, but we want to mark this occasion in the spiritual realm somehow. And so together, financially and prayerfully, we funded the planting of a church, the building of a church, which in India is simultaneously a YMCA, and they call it a life center. Now, we were supposed to go the summer of 2020. There's about five of us who were going to go over for the dedication, but we all know what happened in 2020. So that was canceled. And yet, thankfully, the building was completed on time, and it was dedicated and opened in 2020. And now, three years later, I had the chance to go and see it and meet with the pastor and his family. And I won't share their names, but you can see them in the picture. The pastor, his wife, and their two daughters. In this picture is the front, like this part of the church. The building is about the size of the community room. And behind us, where the photo was taken, are about 50 people all gathered for worship as I arrived. And I could have spent all day there. But I could not spend all day there without risk to our Indian brothers and sisters. In that town specifically, and I didn't know this till arriving, but they have already been facing opposition since the church was built, and the Hindu nationals have been stirring up trouble against it. India is 80% Hindu, 14% Muslim, and 2.3% Christian. On the World Watch list that is produced each year, India is now the 11th most dangerous country in the world to follow Jesus. And the fear was that if people in town saw that an American was visiting and word got out that an outside entity had been involved with this church, then it could bring them further pressure and persecution. If you're unfamiliar with Hinduism, it's a polytheistic religious system 
with literally millions of gods. Those gods are crafted into idols. So when we read the Bible, a lot in the Old Testament, that's exactly the world that they're living in with all of these idols and statues that are crafted. Every town has an idol as you enter it that is taller than this YMCA. Every street has temples and shrines and idols and gods that are assigned to it. Every house has the face of a demon that's hanging in front of the house, in front of the door. They hang mango leaves above their doors to ward off evil spirits. One of my translators told me that the people live in constant fear of these gods and demons trying to appease them. So in that environment, I want you to imagine, in 2020, a church was built. The first church in that community. And a community around it that says that to be Indian is to be Hindu. So how does a church in that environment reach their Hindu neighbors? They do it by serving them in very practical ways. One of those ways is with water. This is a picture we took briefly on the outside of the building. When we built the church, we also funded a well. And the well is on the front side of the church, free and available for anyone in town to use. So the church is reaching the community, sometimes hostile neighbors, by serving them in the name of Jesus and providing safe water. And for the church, a clean water supply could be something that they would hide, they'd put on the backside of the building, or they would keep for themselves, but they're choosing to give it away. And that's just the start. We also, when I was there, had a ribbon cutting. I've never prayed over sewing machines before, but that was one of my assignments. We dedicated four new sewing machines, and what they do is invite Hindu young women to come in and learn a trade and have a livable wage. You can see on the left of the picture, that's the pastor's wife. She's the teacher. I told my wife on the phone, I've got a new ministry idea for when I get back home. (laughs) Back to the story of Abram. I hope you enjoy seeing some of those pictures. He gives dibs to Lot, and look what Lot does. We'll pick it up in verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself. The verbs really catch my attention. He looked, he saw, he chose. It's all about him. Lot chose the best, most fertile and productive land, but if we had a map in front of us and we were to look up these places, it takes him out of the promised land. And it put him right next to Sodom. And if you know what's coming in the chapters ahead, you know what a mistake that would be for Lot and his family. So here's the lesson we learned from Lot. Watch out what looks good to the eyes, but will compromise your heart. Watch out for what looks good to the eyes here, but will compromise your heart. Which, of course, is a significant challenge for those of us who live here in the wealthiest nation on earth. Because there's lots of stuff that looks really good. 
And a lot of it we have the means to get. Since 1960, America's been the number one spot in the world with a current GDP this year of $26.8 billion. In the meantime, just for comparison, the median annual income in India per household, so this is not per person, but per household is $288 a year. It's 80 cents a day for a family. And I would have liked to share some pictures here with you, but I couldn't take pictures of what I saw in this regard because it would have been inappropriate and impolite. But I have been a few places that would be similar. I've never seen such pervasive poverty as I saw in India. People living like animals and worse than our animals. So here we are by no merit of our own. You and I live in a different part of the world. But I can tell you this, after spending 10 days there, the believers in India were just as happy just as full of peace and joy, maybe more so. They were warm-hearted, they were welcoming, and joyful in the Lord. Our temptation is that we're surrounded by so much good-looking stuff. Yeah, it looks fun, we can buy it, we can have it, we can eat it, and it just might lead to our downfall. John Calvin reflected on this very passage when he said, our eyes are not to be trusted. Do you know not to trust your own eyes? Because we will go after what looks best to us, perhaps not realizing, like Lot, when it takes us away from the Lord and puts us in the path of evil. Genesis thirteen twelve, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. So Abram is in Canaan with the leftovers, but he's got the leftovers with the Lord's blessing, and he'll take that any day. The difference between Lot and Abram is that Lot chose to live by sight. Remember, he looked, he saw, he chose. He saw what looked best. He saw the best land and he pitched his tents near Sodom, which is, you see that a couple times in the text, this foreboding little hint of what's to come. And so we know that Lot's gains would be short-lived. When you walk by sight, you walk self-assured and without caution toward evil. When you walk by sight, you might totally miss God's plans. Because when you're in that frame of mind, you're not relying on him. You see where you want to go, and you're going to go there. That was Lot, walking by sight. How does Abram walk? He walks by faith. He knew that God would do what God had said in chapter 12, even if he was getting the leftovers. And it gave him tremendous freedom to walk that way because then he could give, he could be generous because he trusted in the promises of God. One commentator on this said, Abraham knew that God would give him the land even if he gave it away a hundred times. So he wasn't going to live by sight. He was going to live in Canaan by faith. Here's the lesson we learn at this point. Live by faith in what God has said 
even when you cannot see it. Are some of you in that place right now? Live by faith in what God has said, even when you cannot see it. I want to tell you the story of Raji. Raji was the guy who picked me up at the airport. He was my first translator, and we took this picture at a rest stop. It was there that Raji told me this story. When he was a child, he got a very serious illness, rheumatic fever. He was 10 years old, and this illness was so debilitating that it put him in a state of like a one- or two-year-old child. The illness progressed and was so severe that the doctor, who was a Hindu, told Raji's parents to take him home and that he would be dead within the day. But Raji's parents were Christians. And so in the presence of the doctor, they prayed over their son before he was discharged, and then they took him home. A week later, Raji had made a full and complete recovery to the point that the Hindu doctor heard about what had happened and he showed up at their door. He took a look at Raji and he said to Raji's parents, your God must be the true God. What did his parents do? They were living by faith even when they couldn't see the outcome. Well, we're 14 verses now into the chapter, 14 verses of walking by faith, and God speaks now for the first time. And when he does, it's awesome. And I wanted to quote this in its entirety. So this is the longest passage we'll look at. God says to Abram, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. After all that had happened, God speaks, and he tells Abram to look in every direction of the compass. North, south, east, west, and he reiterates the promise of chapter 12. He says, Abram, I'm going to give you the land, all of it. And not only that, but what is he saying? I'm, I'm going to give you a family to go with it. This infertile old couple, Abram and Sarai, are going to have a family tree that extends from them that cannot be counted. God says, Abram, you go walk this land in faith. And Abram knows that God keeps his promises and he will always provide for his people. This is Pastor Helen. Pastor Helen leads the most comprehensive life center in the entire state. When I was there, I personally presented a hundred Hindu students with diplomas of programs that they had completed in computer skills, typing, and tailoring. They are being loved and served by the church and by Pastor Helen. But her life was not always easy. Pastor Helen has buried her husband and two of her three children. Her young son died when he fell into a water container and drowned. Her daughter was in an accident two weeks after high school graduation. When Helen arrived in this mining community, 
where they started this life center, and that's what you see in the background. There was a lot of resistance to the presence of a church. Some people were leaving Hinduism and they were following Jesus, and the more this happened, the more opposition that it drew. Until one day, a Hindu priest from the town converted to Christianity because of Pastor Helen, and a riot formed, and she was beaten. But this woman never backed down. I would watch her just walk the crowd of people. There was like 200 people there that day. And she would walk with such dignity and grace, with wisdom and faith just written on her demeanor. She knows that God keeps his promises and provides for his people whatever may happen to me on this earth. With that, we come to our last verse in the story, verse 18. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Do you remember where we started? What the story started with? Worship? It ends that way too. The best stories, the best days, begin and end with worship. I've told you mostly about the first half of my trip. The second half of the trip was helping facilitate the first ever YMCA Christian Mission Conference for Asia. So I was back in the city of Chennai where we had 55 conference attendees from seven nations, including places like Myanmar, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Hong Kong. One day we took all of the participants up to this location that you see in the picture. It's outside of the biblical record, but we have historical record that makes it very likely that this is where the Apostle Thomas was martyred. We know that he brought the gospel to South India, first to Kerala, and then he came over to what now is Chennai, where he was killed for proclaiming Jesus. We had a worship service up there on the mountain, and I got to share about how Jesus answered Thomas's question when Thomas said, well, Lord, where are you going? How will we know the way? And that's where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But I think my favorite picture from the conference is this one. I want to share this picture with you. I'm going to share a different name. So we'll call him Lee. I took this photo on the very last night before I flew home. Lee is from Hong Kong. He works for the Y. And he came to the conference because his CEO invited him. Lee openly shared the first day of the conference. He said, I am not a Christian. I'm not a Christian yet but I'm interested to be here. And a day or two later, I had a chance to ask him. I said, Lee, is there a particular reason that you're not a Christian yet? Is there something that you're wrestling with or a certain objection or question that you have or family pressure? What are you waiting for? And he told me later that nobody had ever asked him that question before. It also became apparent as we talked that he didn't really grasp what Christianity was about. He had defined it as living a virtuous life. I'm going to do all the right things. And he said it, you know, if, if he's doing that anyway, then Jesus is just an optional add-on. He wasn't sure if he needed Jesus to act like a Christian. 
And you could just see that God was at work in his heart and in his mind. And I told Lee that it seemed to me we have pools in our YMCAs. He was familiar with that. He's from Hong Kong where they have a similar model. And he said it seemed like you're kind of like on the pool deck and you're dipping a toe in the water. But the invitation is so much more. It's to jump in and not just into a pool but to swim the ocean. Fast forward to the last night of the conference. That's when I took this picture. We had a worship service. And I watched as Lee knelt down in prayer and surrender to Christ. And then I'm standing up front and he comes forward to receive communion. And I said to him, Lee, did you jump in the water? He said, yeah, I think I did. The Lord is at work all over the world calling men, women, and children to trust Him, to follow Him. Abraham's reward, the title of our series, it wasn't the land. It was not even his family. It was his relationship with God. And so I'm asking you as we close, What is your reward? What are you living for? A life lived with the Lord, following Him as your highest priority and greatest treasure is the best adventure you could ever say yes to, even if you never step foot on a plane. Raji, Helen, Lee, And 200 orphans can attest to that. Let's bow in prayer together. Lord, we thank you for this gracious invitation to follow you and to go where you send us. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how instructive it is to us. And we thank you for how much we can learn from other people in other places who have set aside every other priority to follow you. We pray for them today, Lord. We pray for the believers in South India and in the north that you would lead and protect the church and they would continue to serve well in the name of Jesus that many would come to faith. Lord, help us to hear these things and to apply this text as your Holy Spirit would lead us in our own lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.